Hey, Nick, what's going on? Hey, Gabe. How much? How are you? I'm doing great, I'm, and I'll tell you why I'm doing great. We just had a great interview with, with who? the... I'm about to tell you. Just give me two seconds, okay, sir? With Garius Adams. With who? Okay, now you're just being ridiculous. So Garius Adams, he played D1 basketball for the University of Miami. He played overseas in three different countries. Then he decided to have a change of pace, and then he decided to work on the administrative side with both the Lakers and the Hornets. Do you think he knows LeBron? I actually know he knows LeBron because he, in fact, told us that he single-handedly beat LeBron. Oh, that's right. Not just LeBron. Not just Not LeBron. just LeBron. Wasn't it the whole Miami Heat team minus D-Wade? That's exactly what it was. And he went toe-to-toe with that team, and with his uh, University of Miami squad. And you know what? The rest is history. Man, we are talking to what could have been a finals MVP right there. Are you kidding me? He was the finals MVP. Right right there. Gary Sapp. You're right. You're right. Finals MVP. Um, but anyway, all jokes aside... Uh, Gary's is such a genuine guy. He uh, he could not stop talking about other people, and that's when you know that uh, that they're focused um, not on their self. They're very selfless. Um, he had a lot of things to say about his time, kind of playing with uh, some stars, both in AAU all the way up to overseas. Um, and yeah, what was Nick? What was your favorite part? Just hearing all the stories. I mean, it's pretty cool for him to. He he worked with Devontae Graham and then and then saw him in AAU and then now he's working with Devontae Graham on the Hornets. Full circle. It's a small world after all. What about you? Um, I honestly liked hearing his comparisons between like France, Belgium, and Kosovo, the three countries that he's played in. Um, they're not countries that you typically think of when you hear basketball. Um, you don't need to, you're not like, oh yeah, that's a that's a crazy basketball country. But his stories say otherwise. Um, and you'll have to hear that in this episode, starting in three, two, wait, time out. What is it? We need the saxophone. Oh. Ever heard of a cardboard box seat? It's, it's kind of like an armchair quarterback. It's a word we made up, and we think it fits our views of basketball pretty well. Our made-up phrase means that we think and act like a manager of a team, or even the commissioner some days. But we don't exactly have the bank account to follow up on our team-owning aspirations. We've got ideas and opinions about the league that change when we come up with new ones, and we might have some funny jokes. The important thing is we love basketball, but we also realize there are plenty of important people who make what you see on the court run smoother. There are a lot of people who work behind the scenes to make the league the best it can be. And we like to showcase them because they don't always get the credit they deserve. If you're looking for great interviews and bad jokes, you've come to the right place. So come watch with us from our cardboard box seats. Hey, we're back with cardboard box seats. Gabe's here. Nick's Today here. We have a very special guest. He's worked with the Charlotte Hornets, the Los Angeles Lakers, and he's a University of Miami alumni. We're talking with Garius Adams today. What's going on, Garius? Not much, We're guys. Doing good. Guys Thanks doing? so much for coming on the podcast. Of yeah, no course. problem. Thanks for having me. So go ahead and give us the scenic route of like your basketball career thus far and even post kind of off on the court. Tell us what you've been doing off the court. I'll probably start with uh, 
my AAU team, I, I was, I grew up in Garner, uh, North Carolina, uh, which is like the south side of Valley. Um, I, I ended up playing for Garner Road Bulldogs uh, for AAU. And um, we, we have some pretty good alumni here. Uh, guys like TJ Warren, uh, John Wall, Devontae Graham, uh, Darius Johnson Odom. Dwayne West is actually runs that program. The brother of David West played at the Warriors and won a NBA championship with the Warriors. So I've had a lot of a lot of experience with those guys growing up. That's kind of like the crew that I was with. Um, we had a amazing time, like in the summer, uh, you know, playing and, and travel ball. So that was probably the beginning of my. Me really, really taking basketball seriously, and then I went into, uh, you know, gaining a lot of scholarships over the summer with them, and then I ended up going to the University of Miami. Uh, I started there in 2009. Um, I had two coaches uh, while I was there, Frank Hayes and Jim Laranega. Um I really liked them both. Um, I learned a lot being down there. I had some great teammates. Uh, I wish I could just name them all, <laughs> but uh, they, they've been great. Uh, I love every single teammate that I've had. So I was in Miami for five years. Um, I did a redshirt year my senior year, which actually was probably our best year. You know, won the ACC tournament, uh, regular season title as well. Uh, made it to the 16 lost in the to Marquette. Great year. I didn't play, but I was still heavily involved. I was practicing every day. And, and doing like the scout team stuff and I was definitely like another coach on the bench I would always just be there to just kind of give advice and and just share like what I was seeing on the bench and, and all of my teammates was obviously like super excited for me to kind of like tell them like what I'm seeing and then me to just kind of be vocal but that was really cool um my next year my senior year my senior race year I played uh I started every game, um, and uh, we had a really good season as well. And then after that, I ended up going overseas. I, I went to uh, I went to Belgium first, um, which Belgium isn't really a super basketball type place, but um, it was a really good league. Um, Belgium was a lot of, uh, very small, so it was easy to get around. So I, I really liked it in that sense. It's very central, so even outside of basketball, I got to travel a lot. Um, like a lot. I would go to Amsterdam, Paris all the time. Uh, we were like 20 minutes from Germany from where I was living in. So I, I would travel so much. I had some great teammates over here, too. I got some guys I still talk to to this day. Like, I really, I really uh, keep up with those guys and, and uh, had a great time in Belgium. Then after Belgium, I went to France. I played in France in a city called uh, La Havre, uh, which is off the coast, the east coast of France. So it was very beautiful. Uh, I would eat sushi every day. It was great. Like, uh, playing in Korea, France, uh, great competition and a great city to live, uh, to live in. So I had a lot of fun with that. After that, I ended up playing in, uh, in Kosovo uh, the year after. And... That was actually my last year of playing, and I was playing there, and I even had, like, thoughts of just kind of, like, should I play somewhere else, or where should I go after, and I had a lot of uh, non-basketball thoughts, and I ended up uh, 
playing my last year there and then going a, a, a totally different route. So that's that's pretty much the recap of, of my basketball. I got you. Life. So, so what made you realize that you wanted to be on like the creative or administrative side of basketball? Um, I think uh, it was a couple of things. Um, one, once I kind of decided that I was wanted to move away from playing, um, I just started reaching out to the contacts that I had, and a lot of the contacts that I have obviously were in basketball or some sort or related to. So I would you know, reach out to those guys and, and they would kind of put me in basketball fields. I was training a little bit. I was coaching a little bit more at the amateur level. And then uh, I actually uh, reached out to a, to a friend of mine who I actually met in Miami. Um, his name is Miles Simon. He was, he's actually an assistant coach from the Lakers at, right now and at that time. And he, uh, he kind of... Uh, Opened my eyes to uh, possibly joining that to the squad to the Lakers, and he put me in contact with the people that made the decisions. And after that, I kind of uh, springboarded into the NBA kind of quickly. I guess the conversation with him and the conversation I had with other coaches that coached me or other friends or players, and and uh, they kind of like directed me into to getting more of the. And like right in the teeth of that's of funny that you mentioned Miles Simon because our last guest Max Hooper also mentioned that Miles Simon opened the door for him to work as a coaching associate with the Lakers as well. That's really funny how small of a world it is. Oh yeah, and especially in the NBA, like it's, it's even smaller because I mean it's only a certain amount of jobs. Like you think about uh, coaches and. And, and staff in general, like, I mean, every team probably has maybe 10 basketball operational coaches and staff members, and there's only 30 teams. That's, I mean, there's only 300 jobs per se. So, like, I mean, it's very easy to know the other, the other team and the other staff. So it's super easy to know those guys. Some uh, summer league in Vegas obviously makes it even easier. So it's it, it's very it's a very tight knit group and a very uh, a small network. So you worked as a basketball operations for the Lakers and as assistant video coordinator for the Hornets. What is kind of what does kind of basketball operations look like? What does that all that entail? What I'm doing with the Hornets is kind of a uh, a larger scale of what I was doing with the Lakers. So. My job um, as a assistant video coordinator, uh, I handle pretty much a lot of the uh, video aspects of, of the teams. I, I work with specific coaches, and I work with our head video coordinator to put together all the you know, game plans, uh, scouting reports, um, down to cutting games to make sure coaches watch our next opponents. Uh, up until five games that they played previous before they play us. Um, I mean, writing down detailed notes from which plays they run to um, highlighting which plays that we run. So anything video aspects or game plan related pretty much runs through me and another assistant video coordinator is on the team. Um, we, we handle a lot of that stuff. And then also... Uh, with me having a player background and 
being a player, I definitely do my first year on the court as well with player development and, and working with guys and making sure they get shots up or, or workouts or, or anything in that, in that realm as well. So, um, basketball operations is pretty much all of those things mainly. And then there's a whole bunch of, you know, spontaneous things that you may have to do, uh, especially in traveling. Like there's, you know, sometimes there's just pieces that you have to pick up, you know, to kind of just keep the, keep the ship ro- uh, rolling and rocking and, and you, you do a lot of like small things in the middle but I mean at the end of the day it's, it's a lot of fun um, it's a great job and I'm super blessed to have it so um, I'm happy just to you know be able to say I work for the Hornets that, that's definitely a lot more than I thought I, me personally when I hear assistant video coordinator I kind of just think maybe working on film just recording games and stuff like that. I don't didn't think of all that went into it. It's crazy. It's definitely more than what people think the title just is. I, I have a bunch of friends who are like, okay, you're a video coordinator. You just hang on a computer all day. I was like, yeah, I do. I'm on a computer like all the time. But I have to find time to obviously do basketball stuff too. What I like about Charlotte is uh, they give you that responsibility to to be on the court, um, to be available for guys who need workouts, who, who need anything basketball related, to all of those things. Like uh, that's a that's a big uh, that's a big uh, thing for Charlotte to be able to. You know, we're we're a smaller group, but everyone has their hands in everything. So um, it's very fun and very very cool to see. So, do you get to go to a lot of the games and stuff like that too? Yeah, I'm at, obviously, every home game. I'm at most of away games. I spend time with the other assistant visual coordinator. But traveling is obviously a lot of fun. I, I would say traveling also, like, gives me a different perspective with the guys as well. Like, and not only uh, players, but coaches as well. Um, I usually try to, uh, to either, like, hang out with one of the players or the coaches on the road just to kind of, like, see, like, most importantly, how they're feeling and what they're doing if they need beef or something. Or we can kind of just take off, like, our titles and just kind of hang out and just see how they're feeling or how the family's doing. Or, or if we want to just talk about old stories. Every coach that I that's on the team now, on the staff now, has amazing stories. Like, there's not one coach that doesn't have, like, somewhere they used to coach or a player they used to post that I don't ask them about. Like every coach has an attorney and players as well. Like I, I'll ask many of the players about like different teams they play for or like who was their, you know, who took them on the deal wing when they were like, like things like that. Those are the things that like really interest me. Like I love talking to the guys about that because I'm trying to build my own experiences as well. So um, just relating to them about those things. And, and and being on the road is like great for that, just to connect. So you mentioned uh, Devonte Graham, who's one of our personal favorite uh, basketball players. He was on the same AAU team that you played for. What was it like, kind of uh, essentially reuniting on the Charlotte team? Right. Well, well, actually, what's funny is Devonte is about five, maybe four or five or six years older than I mean, younger than me. 
So I never technically played with him, but I watched him uh, be on the young, on the younger team, and I've always, uh, even when I was in college, would speak to uh, a lot of the guys at the at Garner Road, the program directors. They were always kind of keep me updated with the younger talent. And he's also he's obviously had an interesting story coming out of high school and to college, going from App State to Kansas, and then reconnecting with him now coming back me coming from LA to Charlotte even even a funnier thing I was actually before I got the Lakers job I at ESPN for uh, they were doing the Wooden Awards and he was in the Wooden Award and we got to actually chop it up then and I was this was before he even got drafted so I didn't, he didn't know he was going to Charlotte I, was, I didn't know I was going to the Lakers uh, we were just kind of talking and you know it's crazy how like you look back on life and second things just come forward. So you played D one basketball for uh, the University of Miami, and your numbers saw a pretty big jump after you took that that senior year. You ended up taking two senior years, right? One was a redshirt. Um, tell us a little bit about that time for you and that, how your numbers they grew, and that kind of opened the door for overseas. Yeah, um, I had a lot of time. Uh, get back on my feet. I had knee surgery um, three consecutive months going into my senior year. So that's one of the reasons why I registered it. Um, I actually got back on my feet right before um, the season started. And I sat down with uh, Coach L, and we knew that um, my senior year was going to be a special year. We also knew that we had a lot of guys that, you know, talented wise, that. As, as much as I would want to say, oh, I'll be a starter and play all these minutes, that we, we had a really loaded team. So the thought process for me was to, if I should return and come back and be a part of this, you know, special season that we end up having, or if I should just take time for myself to kind of get my legs under me and uh, sit and just get stronger and faster. And that's what I did. I kind of just took that time to kind of like mature a little bit more and to understand like what it is to be the leader on and off the court like, so I, I just I just accepted that role and so going into my senior year um, I just worked so hard and I worked so hard not to only uh, play well but to actually be healthy throughout a, a full season so that was really really important for me I think that's one of the reasons why I saw Big Jones was just being able to play and be healthy and, and get out there that was just that was, a, that was a big season for me, personally, uh, both lives. So what kind of goes into the thought process of deciding where you want to play overseas? Is it just you you look for a different market, or how did, how did that work for you? Um, For me, I actually, I, I had an agent that was, uh, who was French, so... It, it kind of made it easier for me because uh, he kind of understood like what I was looking for in terms of the market. So I wanted something that was like as close to like an American style basketball uh, basketball as it could be. Um, so I wanted I wanted somewhere not only where they play more of an American style basketball, basketball, but they also like speak uh, English as well. Um, I wanted to live in a city. Um, that was fun, that you could kind of go out and do things, 
travel. So I, I wanted to hit all those markers, and he was kind of like one of the better people for me to talk to because obviously he lives in Paris. So those were kind of like my main things. Obviously, excuse me, I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, play a lot as well. Um, so he ended up, oh, we ended up uh, actually choosing a team where I got to start every game and, and build a career. Uh, well, a career that I, I would be happy to have. So I, I, I really appreciated my uh, my agent for that. And um, I had some friends who actually played in Belgium before. Um, one of my coaches <clears throat> at Miami, University of Miami, actually, uh, Michael Hubert, he actually played for the team that I ended up playing for in, in Belgium. So he was already kind of like in the record books. They were talking to me about that. So like I, I had connections to to Belgium. And uh, I also had a teammate my senior year, my senior year, named Mano LePomp. He's actually from Belgium. And he played with me. He was a freshman on on that team. So he, he told me a lot about Belgium as well and told me like what to look out for and, and what to be excited about. So I was happy You've about played that. in France? Belgium and Kosovo, as you mentioned earlier, um, all of which, and this is actually something you said right off the top, is like they're not pla- they're not places that you normally think of, like when someone mentions international basketball, except for maybe France. How is each comfort? How is each country different in regard to the basketball style? That's a really good question. I would say that starting with Belgium, Belgium was very a very big basketball. Country like I, I was, I was even surprised. Uh, my first, my year out there to the um, country championship. So every country has their own like Belgian pub or France pub or whatever the country is that has their own like uh, championship within the, the country. We actually made it to the championship, and um, they had the uh, the championship game in the in the capital city, Brussels. And I'll never forget reading on the bus from our hotel and we were driving and we have to pass downtown Brussels. I see all of our fans like walking with big bass drums screaming at the top of their lungs with huge flags and they were just chanting like our like our anthem or whatever it is. And uh, I remember looking at my teammate like yeah, how are they gonna like, get the base drums and all these guys, like, where, how are they going to get them, like, in a bus? Like, where, like, how are they going to get to the game? You know, oh, no, no. they're walking to the game. What are you talking about? And I was like, walking? <laughs> the game was, like, 10 miles away. I was like, how are they walking to the game? Like, oh, they, they're getting there, trust me. So we get to the game, and, like, we get out. We're, like, signing autographs, and, and we're kind of, like, taking pictures, and here they come, like, chanting at the top of their lungs, like, they start blasting. They they walk all the way from downtown into the game, into the arena, and they didn't stop when they got in the arena. When they got in the arena, it's like they finally made it to like you know obviously their destination. They they got even louder. So it was it was beyond anything I've ever seen. France was kind of pretty much the same way. The crowds are like super huge, and they obviously take it super seriously. There's a lot of good players in France. Um, like local players from France. Um, I had a lot of fun there as well, and the competition there in France was amazing. Um, and in Kosovo, it was kind of like, imagine what I said about Belgium, but like three times crazier. So like, 
imagine the wild bass drums, the flags, but imagine like firecrackers going off in the air. Like I'm talking about like noise makers I never even heard before. Like it, it was like literally they were setting off bombs in in the middle of the game. Like, I have so many stories about people getting hit in the head with like firecrackers or like all kinds of crazy stuff. But <clears throat> um, it it was. International basketball in itself is in is crazy experience, but it's a good experience. Um, so it's hard to put all three of those in the same category, but uh, it was all a, a great experience nonetheless. So when you were playing overseas, did you ever feel like there was a moment where you're you were spinning your wheels and not really making any progress at all? Uh, definitely. I was saying, personal. I was I was doing well. Uh, we made it to the championship game. I mean, the championship series in Kosovo as well. We ended up losing it in the finals, but um, I always found myself doing well overseas and internationally, but <clears throat> it was something about Kosovo and it was something about just being there that I kind of like wanted to slow my life down. And I guess it was just a part of me was just kind of getting older. I think me playing five years in, in Miami um, obviously made me one of the older seniors coming out of uh out of my class and then playing three years and actually I've, I've always been kind of like a homebody I never really liked traveling too much but I always you know was up for it and I kind of decided then like even while I was playing close well, I was taking phone interviews from different you know businesses and different uh, jobs and uh in Coastal, I was taking Skype interviews. I was finding like places to connect Wi-Fi and like restaurants. And I just had a thought process in my mind that like I didn't want to uh, get to the end of my basketball career and not know what my next step was going to be. I always like to have a plan in my life. I always talk about that, like always trying to have a plan. Um, but it's it's funny because I I've always tried to have a plan my whole life, not. And nothing's ever gone according to plan. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, 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 it's interesting. Like that's how life is. I kind of understand that so much more now. But yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely saw in Kosovo um, a change that was about to kind of like come forth in my life. So when you graduated, uh, you you kind of had a double major, right, in sports administration and psychology. I mean sociology. Yeah, sociology. Sorry, sorry. Yep. Sociology. Have you kind of seen your the use of your sociology major with the with the sports admin major in your career? Yeah, I definitely see it more. Um, I try to relate it more to those like day to day stuff. Like even with people in general, I, I just kind of like I guess use it in that sense. Like I, I actually the funny thing about I majored in sports administration. That's kind of like what I really, really wanted to, um, like, dig my teeth in in college. And then uh, I was minoring in sociology, and I decided to uh, to go ahead and, and finish that those courses my my, uh, my registered year, so I kind of finished that up. So I'm glad I did because I learned so much. And like you said, uh, I don't really use it too much in, in terms of my, my job, but... But um, but some days I do. Like I know, like I mentioned earlier, being able to kind of 
get perspectives from players and coaches on like you know what they've done in the past like what they think works like it's it's so funny that I think the best staffs are like the staff that we have where they're all on the same page but they all think totally different so if you ask them one day about you know what we should do in this situation or what we should do in that situation they all have it's like six or seven different answers. So it, it, it's so cool because I get to kind of like, you know, kind of build like what my perfect situation would be. Like if they, you know, most coaches don't ask you the same question but to you. You're usually the one asking them all the questions and they're just giving you answers and they're going through like different things. But I'm also like formulating my own answers from, from what I'm hearing. And that, that goes for players too, like, there's so many things that happen in a practice, in a game, in a road trip, all these things that happen. And I'm taking in the account of the players. Like, what do they like? Like, do they like practicing for three hours? Do they like practicing for one hour? Some, you'd be surprised. Like, some players actually like practicing a lot. Like, some players don't like practicing at all. Obviously, it seems very, like, cliche, but, like, how do you find a middle ground then? Like, what, what do you do to kind of, like, appease both parties and those things are, are always like on the front of my mind and, and uh, I definitely use sociology just to be able to kind of speak with them talk to them and and to be able to kind of like understand them so I use it I use it pretty well so do, does it ever feel surreal kind of hanging out with some of the players or, or coaches for the Hornets and then the same thing when you were with the with the Lakers? Did it ever feel surreal getting to hang out with these NBA stars? Uh, it never, honestly it never did. I, and the reason for that is because, I'll give you an example. So in Miami, obviously because it is Miami, I've, I've met a lot of players, NBA players because of, you know, the city and a lot of NBA players usually spend their summers in Miami. So they would use our facility a lot. Um, they would use uh, our gym and we would play pickup against them. A, a perfect example of that is, like, today is the, uh, the anniversary of LeBron James announces the decision to go to South Beach. That was 2010. That was my sophomore year of college. I'll never forget him coming to uh, play pickup with us like two straight weeks when he first got down there. Like yeah, he was just he was just come play trip with us and he would just hang out and, and we would literally just talk to him. Like uh, any question that we had he would answer it. He would like sit down like after we played tip up, we would all just kinda hang out. And so like obviously if you're talking to like one of the best players that ever played a game to be able to talk to anybody else in the NBA comes pretty easy. So like you just you just um, get used to it. Like, so being in L.A., when he decided to come back, well, not come back, but actually his first time uh, as a Laker, that was kind of like a reunion as well. I knew a lot of people that he's usually around. Obviously, I knew him. So not only with him, but, like, all the other players that we, I've, I've been around, and they've all been great guys. Like, I, I don't think there's one person I can sit here and say, like, oh, I didn't like this guy too much or they all was, every player was different. Um, every player was unique. Um, so, you know, sometimes, just like in life, you, you grow closer to some than, than others, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, 
So here's a question that you can answer as politically as you'd like. Did you ever score on LeBron James in those Miami uh, pickup games? <laughs> oh, of course. I would. I would say I didn't. No, I, I, of course I didn't. I, it was. It was one of the games. One of the games that we played. I remember specifically. It was like one of our first games, and we and we beat them. And usually, the way it goes, it, at least for that time for us, like. Most of the time, the NBA players, if they were playing with us, we would make a way for them to always kind of be on the court. And usually, you know, it worked out. But uh, I remember this day, he brought more of his guys with him. Usually, it's like one or two NBA players, and then we can kind of rotate them in. Like, even if they lose, they can still be on the court. I think this this specific day, he brought pretty much the whole NBA I mean, the, the whole Miami Heat starting five, maybe D-Wade. So it was like Mike Miller, Chris Bosh. I mean, everybody was there. You know, winning the first, like, one or two games, like, back to back. And I'll never forget his face when he had to Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like, he had his look, like, game Boston. Like, it was, like, crazy. So uh, you beat LeBron. I mean, you're, you're one of the best. You're better than one of the best players in the league. Uh, well, we—I would say that team that we had in Miami was one of the best teams I've ever played with. So um, it was just—it was like the day. So he had to sit out. He wasn't happy about it, but I will say he never. All right. So out now what we're gonna do is something we call hot seat questions, and the whole theory behind this is that we're gonna ask you questions, and they're short and sweet. And we want your answers to be just as short and just as sweet. So, starting off, we're going to kind of do these rapid fire. So, take as many words as, words as you want, but here we go. All right, first question. What are your thoughts on high school players skipping college for the G League? I said I love it. All right, what off-season moves do the Hornets have to make to make an improvement next season? We, uh, we definitely need a, a, a scoring wing all right, so man. what would be your dream job in the league? Um, I'd be an NBA, to, to be an NBA coach. Uh, doesn't matter what city, honestly. Just, just being able to be a, a coach at that high level would be amazing. All right, in your opinion, who is the GOAT? And take into account that you do work for Michael Jordan, so... <laughs> I think you can't watch the last dance and not consider him the coach. So I'm, I'm obviously going him to. I hope he, I hope he listens to this. So do we. I hope he listens too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite to win the NBA restart in Orlando? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Lakers. They, I mean, obviously they have the whole, the whole team going. Um. And then and they had the best record uh, in the West, so I'm, I'm going to go to LA. Shout out to my old squad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam Silver makes you commissioner for the day. What's what are you going to do? Uh, that's a great question. Adam Silver makes me commissioner for the day. I'm gonna I'm gonna make all assistant video coordinators give a get a ten percent raise. All right, there you go. Awesome. Um, have you met Michael Jordan? I actually have. Um, I met him very briefly before one of my games. 
played the Indiana Pacers, and he came in to our shoot-around. Um, I shook hand at him, said what's up, told him who I was. Um, I doubt he remembered, but I did speak to him. Nice. Was it hard not to fangirl at all? Uh, no, it wasn't. I was actually, like, supposed to be, like, beating a drill at the time, and I kind of, like, walked off just to speak to him. <laughs> Everyone was kind of laughing about it. I was like, I, I didn't want to miss this opportunity. So, right. So you, you just have to go out and take it sometimes. All right. What is your favorite place you've traveled to? Uh, so that's a good question. Um, I guess it's. I don't want to be like boring and say Miami because I love Miami. But like the that's like literally my second home. Oh man, that's tough. I don't know. I'm 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 probably gonna go with uh, LA, and I I really like San Francisco too. I never really spent that much time there, but we had three days off to San Francisco, um, so I got to spend a lot of time and kind of see like the city and, and travel a little bit over there. So uh, I'll probably say San Francisco, Miami. All right, and then so a lot of a lot of players are having something special on the back of their jersey. We've we've seen with the NBA restart. So if you were playing, what would the back of your jersey say? That's another great question. I would probably, I would probably just say Black Lives Matter because it it, it covers everything that that I feel like should be kind of like in the forefront of people's minds. Um, I know it's kind of like been a topic for a long time, and you know, people are still not seeing maybe the lady that they should see, but. Um, I like the NBA's approach in terms of just giving players and giving them a platform to you know, always to keep this topic updated and fresh and in front of people's faces until, you know, change really happens. All right, Darius, this has been a blast having you on the podcast. Uh, we can now say that we finally talked with someone who has beaten LeBron James single-handedly without any help whatsoever. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, my guys. I really appreciate it.